For a long time now, I thought I was just a survivor, but I'm not. I'm the winner. That's who I am. The Time Lord Victorious. Thank you very much for downloading the Trap One podcast. I'm Mark. I'm Keith. I'm Billy. And I'm James. This week we're going to take another look at Time Lord Victorious with the second big finish release, The Enemy of My Enemy. Keith, this is your first Victorious podcast. Uh, how much of it have you consumed so far? Everything on audio. I've not read any of the books. I've not done any of the comics. Cool. It's the interesting thing about this. Everyone's coming out from a different perspective of having uh, seen or read or heard different bits of it. So it'll be interesting uh, to, to get the different uh, different takes on it like that. Do we know if anybody's literally trying to do everything? <laughs> not me. I think uh, definitely not me. Bryn, that uh, was on the podcast for the Night the Fool and the Dead. I think they are trying to um, cover everything because they're blogging about it at the same time. I mean, everything uh, includes these escape rooms, doesn't it? And and online yep. games and things like that. Um, particularly so where they, we are. It's still happening now, but. I think you can do them online in teams, can't you? The the escape room games. Still planning on doing one in 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 person at some point, but I don't, I don't know if that's set in stone. It will be at some point next year. But I think it's, I think Time Fracture is still planning to do it in person. Yeah, they're still advertising tickets for it. So, mm. and imagine they are trying to. Well, yeah. yeah. And we recently had the news that Echoes of Extinction has been delayed until February. That was due out at the end of. November. This was the double-sided vinyl release with uh, Tennant and McGann. Mm. So that could well be the last last piece of the puzzle that we get. But they've just this week released a new timeline, which is the stories in chronological order rather than in release order. Don't know if you saw that. That was quite useful. Yes. Mm. Is that what you tweeted, Mark? It was, yeah. I, I, um, yeah. I think you retweeted the official Doctor Who account. And then, because there's an odd thing, which is there's a, there's a story called Canaries in the Wintertime Paradox, which I've got a copy of, and I flicked through the whole book, and I can't find it, um, and it's not in the contents. And then I tweeted about it, and someone said, oh, it is in there, but I still can't find it. And then somebody else tweeted me and said, no, it's an online story, which is going to be in the paperback release of the Wintertime Paradox. Um, but I can't find it online either. It's um, it's a little bit of a mystery. So um, we'll uh, I guess we'll find out about that one at some point. I, I love how they they try to they try to slimline everything down and make it more, you know easier for everybody to follow by putting that chronological order thing. But it's just mm. confused people more. All <laughs> oh, right, that's what I should have started with. Oh no, I buggered it up already. <laughs> And it looks like the second book is in two parts and, and, and occupies two different places as well. So it's uh... Oh, because it's from two different viewpoints, isn't it? From the different doctors' perspectives, I think, is oh, what I read. Oh, that's a cool idea. So the enemy of my enemy picks up where the cliffhanger to He Kills Me, He Kills Me Not leaves off with the TARDIS drawn off course by the Daleks. Um, and last time we were um, really big fans of Brian the Ood Assassin, um, and this time we've got this cast of um, of Daleks, um, which uh, I really liked. Maybe not quite as much as Brian, but 
I think they're really well drawn. I think it can be difficult to differentiate between different Daleks, but the way these are written and performed, uh, and now we can yeah. see them on the Daleks cartoon as well. It's, it's quite easy to tell them apart. But um, what do we think of these? This motley crew. I really, I really liked them. I thought um, Nicholas Briggs did a really good job at separating the different characters, and it, it was. I watched part two of the cartoon today. Um, with the Dalek strategist, which is the sort of uh, beaten up, old looking um, Dalek. Yeah. yeah. And I really like that Dalek. I think mm. that's really wrong to say, but I really like that Dalek. It's very sneaky, very manipulative. Um, and and he, Daleks can have a danger of becoming very one dimensional, just shoot to kill. And I think with the strategist, um, you got this really quite clever character, which I, I quite like. Uh, works really well with McGann as well. I thought the idea of a dark executioner was a wee bit pointless because fundamentally, they all are, aren't they? <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I know he's, he's, he's desperate to, but I, I kind of think of the executioner as a bit more of a smarter sort of uh, special weapons Dalek in a way because it's got mm. that different manipulator arm, but it still has that kind of grunty. Uh, like it's, it's just like almost salivating to sort of just kill anything it can, um, which I thought was was really nice. But I, I, I get what you mean. It's it kind of just say what the Daleks do, you know, kind of generally of a day. <laughs> yeah, I was the same as you, James. The uh, I thought the strategist was a really cool idea. He's he's so kind of scheming and manipulative. I thought he was like a slightly less sinister Dominic Cummings. <laughs> and more trustworthy yeah <laughs> so that's where he's fleeing off to in the episode 2 of the cartoon he's off for an eye test the Dalek scientist the, um, the, the voice uh, that, that Nick Briggs does for that really reminds me of John Pertwee whether that's because like like Pertwee played a from? few kind of eccentric scientists other than the Doctor as well, whether that's kind of ah, right. like, and mm. that's um, I can really hear that in the performance. You, 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 you do yeah, you get the impression that he's really tailoring his voice for each one. Like the strategist, obviously, is a bit more sort of quiet, and he's a bit more kind of you know characterful, and the execution is just rabid constantly. Um, and I'm, I mean, I'm trying to work out though, just from the artwork, uh, you know, which colour they are, because I know obviously we have now the, um, the, the 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 cartoon, which is kind of helping us along. So the execution is black, and uh, um, although it's, it's so dark, some of the sections of that cartoon, it's difficult to kind of work out exactly what colour these darks are supposed to be. The eagle moths are doing figurines in some of these. Um, oh, they are. They, they are. are. That's, a good point. That's probably quite an easy way of working out which is which, I suppose, but. Honestly, like just seeing Daleks that aren't aren't bronze with that design is just so refreshing. It's really nice to see that. Definitely, there is in the this year's or next year's, I guess, Doctor Who annual. But there is a guide to each of these different different Daleks. I think, um, which is uh, obviously another piece of the uh, Time Lord Victorious puzzle. Um, but there's uh, yeah, kind of visual dictionary for them in there. I never buy an annual because. Um Till after Christmas, because some years end up with about 15 of them, and some years end up with none of them. So uh, I never quite know which way the wind's going to blow. <laughs> I love the the sort of dad's army moment they have. Uh, the sort of they don't tell them Pike bit when um, 
think the executioner says uh, oh, yeah. aliens, <laughs> aliens aren't allowed to know the structure of the Dalek time squad and the doctor goes oh so it's a Dalek time squad and then he makes that, that kind of noise it's brilliant oh no you got me it's yeah. really funny <laughs> there's, there's, there's some quite funny one liners when um, he introduces himself as the executioner and they said oh could they not bring the cleaner instead it's just like <laughs> it, I think Paul McGann is so sort of confident against the Daleks. He, he, he reminds me very much of um, Colin Baker when he meets Davros in um, his story. Oh, Remembrance? No, not Remembrance. Revelation. Revelation, thank you. Yeah, where he just walks in and goes, oh, what, you know, what trouble have you been up to? And so Paul McGann does exactly the same thing, walks in and goes, oh, only 12 of you. <laughs> it's kind of... He's got that sort of brary, I think, I think sort of breezy. Oh, I think the, the, the Eighth Doctor must have been going through Big Finish's recent releases and is getting bored as well, to be honest. <laughs> like, oh, Daleks again. Here we go. Twelve more. What are you going to do this time? You've got a slightly different paint job. Yeah. It's, it's quite... It, I, do, I do like that, that very sort of initial... You know, he just walks in and goes, Oh, yeah, Daleks. 12 of you. Oh, 30. Oh, now 14. Oh, great. <laughs> Good way to introduce them as well. There were complaints about the dust on the Dalek ship as well. It kind of made me think because the, um, they, like, they wouldn't be bothered about cleaning, but also it's about static sort of thing, isn't it? Like the way that like um, you know, TVs attract dust. Uh, don't they? Um, it kind of uh, harked back to their static power roots a little bit, I thought. <laughs> I might be reading too much into that. So. <laughs> but just because you're we're Doctor Who fans that's what we're here for because <laughs> you're sort of like clued upon this is this taking place during the time war that's what I'm a bit confused about because he's sort of McGann's in his time war costume and he's got the time war music so is this actually set during the time war um, I don't know it's not really reference is it no. I was surprised I assumed that it was because of the cover and um, the music and everything And then, but I thought well because of the nature of the story, if they were in the time, well, surely they'd be a bit more keen on, like, destroying the Daleks or destroying Gallifrey. So I wasn't quite sure where we were. I would put my money on it being before the time war. Only because of the, the bit at the end, which I'm sure we'll come on to, I just thought if it was the time war, then the outcome might have been slightly different. Yeah. Um, so I would say that it's, it's probably build up to time war rather than full-on time war just to know where to put it on my list that's all <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's the, so the music is the war doctor's big finish theme tune is that right all the time war doctor stories tend to use that music though because McGann's time war stories have used that as well haven't they so right mm. yeah they would have uh, when you would have thought when they snatched the doctor out of time and brought him aboard the ship there would have been a reference to the time war if it it started yeah. yeah but also i assume because there's so much going on with time at the moment that and, and hopefully it will sort of be rectified and things will go back to normal at the end of it that an anomaly like you know a, a few years between the time war supposed to have started at, at some point or the daleks aren't quite aware of what's going on you know there, there are clearly massive sweeping changes across the universe that are being made because of these time anomalies so uh, you know, I, I like the idea of it being placed in, in certain parts of the Eighth Doctor's chronology. I suppose all of that really goes out the window when you're dealing with a story that deals in 
time anomalies, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you say the, uh, the Daleks, like the Doctor in the previous story, have noticed that, that time has changed and that there's planets that were once uninhabited now uh, have civilizations and, and vice versa. Um, well, because they, they talk about wanting the Doctor's help to restore balance to the universe. Um, yeah. Kind of made me think of Thanos uh, in the Marvel movies. Um, and they kind of think along the same lines, aren't they, in that they want to kind of wipe out some of these races that have uh, risen to prominence where they, they previously didn't exist. Yeah, and I think we talked about this on our last podcast, didn't we, when we were talking about um, the two master stories, because you, you now see that uh, de-evolving, you know, the devolver weapon has, has, mm. has appeared again. Um, still not much on the Keturah, but they're mentioned a bit more about how they are changing races, but also the, the Devolver is also changing things as well. So you've got these sort of two influences that are going on. I was a little bit confused by that. I have to say, I kind of thought, so this this race, are they are they now taking it upon themselves to sort of take over the Keturu's sort of job? Because they seem to be not around anymore or they're, they're not quite as active as they were um so i, I was a bit confused about the, the mention of them whether or not this, this yeah. civilization we meet but the doctor over. was the doctor was also confused because the doctor said they were wiped out and then said no they're not wiped out and and then he went yeah. I, I don't i don't understand i think in his brain uh, uh, you know the reason why they've the daleks have asked him for their for you know his help is because he can spot these these anomalies and he's picking up the anomaly with the Katura that he part of his brain is telling him that they've been wiped out but another part of him is telling him that they're still around the doctor's so, presence was a bit weird full stop I can understand why they need him at the end so they can go back in time but surely if they just want to grab that weapon having the doctor there is a major hindrance for them they'd be much better grabbing the weapon then getting the doctor to go back in time to find out what's going on but there's, uh, I think, a bit at the end where he says the Doctor doesn't understand our, you know, our full plan. I wonder if that's, that's what, you know, part of that. There's a bigger narrative. They need oh, the Doctor there because he says he says he's oblivious to our true mission. So I wonder if there's there's something more that the Doctor needs to do. They just got him on board to build the trust, and then there's something even more, you know dangerous or evil that the Daleks have got up their sleeve for later. It's the Doctor's research that helps them to pinpoint the point of history that they need to travel to, isn't it, where the timelines change. It's what he finds in the archives or in the uh, the Halls of Victory, I think, isn't it? Mm. Ah, right. Uh, but yeah, because you think it was the... It, it's almost like the Couture, the fate of the Couture is a little bit in flux and the Doctor can remember or sense both versions of history but I, i'd sort of imagined that these races like the racks that are there where previously it was um they said it was just kind of a rocky uninhabited planet are a result of the keturah being killed by the 10th doctor um but you're right that's happened and then this race is as as risen from as it wasn't there before but then they are then going around like uh de-evolving all these other races mm. so it is kind of this massive domino effect of um of change isn't it yeah because they are they are trying to to at the moment sort of steer us to the idea that the 10th doctor 
did something which fractured the universe. He, the Time Lord Victorious took him a step too far and the consequences are the things that we're seeing in other, other stories. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. But still I'm, a lot I'm to I'm certainly... Unpick. 100%, yeah, there's, there's a lot left to go. But after this and kind of coming off the back of the end of the Monstrous Beauty uh, strip with DWM, um, I kind of feel like things are moving in one particular direction. Um, you know, with the ending of The Night of the Fallen the Dead and what happens there. And I, I feel like I know where everything's heading. And so I'm now much more inclined to enjoy the ride rather than expect massive revelations in these stories leading up to um, the kind of, I think the book uh, is likely to be, the, the final book is likely to be the kind of culmination of everything. Um, but I, I certainly feel like things are kind of heading towards a definite point now, which was sort of, you know, besides the Daleks, was the big benefit of, of listening to this story in particular. Yeah, I think the third um, of these Paul McGann audios is set after the book. Oh, right. Um, as far as I'm aware. So that would be, be interesting to see whether that is just some of the fallout from the book or, um, yeah, what happens there. I may, it made sense in my head then, Mark. You've, you've thrown <laughs> it again. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 was all, it was all coming together. Yes, Mutually Assured Destruction is the next one, isn't it? That's it, yeah. And that does come after the book. Um, in fact, it comes after several books. It's the sort of last one of the, last but one of the um, Dark Times. Yeah, I think it'd be good to get some twists and turns, although we're kind of getting the, the, the broad shape of it now. Um good to get some some revelations and uh, and twists and turns in there i think are they doing audio books of the novels you don't know not seen anything no, i haven't seen that they're quite short aren't they they're not the they're not even as long as the sort of um what do they call them the new doctor adventures the when we used to get the um yeah like the three books per year yeah no, I mean, yeah, like, like I said on the on the last podcast, I think I, I said I finished it in like a, in, in a day, pretty much. I managed to finish the the night of the fool in the dead in the day, and I'm a slow reader as well, so that was that was quite impressive. They're kind of target sized, aren't they? Um, in terms of the word count, mm. yeah. So I thought the um, the, the Rax's plan, like I said, they're using the weapon which. The Doctor has later miniaturised in, in Master Thief by Sophie Isles to, to de-evolve uh, species um, using the technology of the Kutura that allows them to infect an entire species all in one go. Um, it reminds a little bit of, of Boomtown, because it's, it's all these races, they get to sort of start again and the hope is that they won't be as as warlike or, or whatever the, the you know the second time round. Um, and in... Boomtown, the TARDIS turns Margaret Slitheen back into an egg. Back to an egg, yeah. In the hope that she'll uh, grow into a nice Slitheen next time, don't they? <laughs> mm. I thought it was it was the, the sort of dilemma when the when the Doctor was was with um, Seraphim, you know, in in the chain in the eye, and I thought it was very reminiscent of Genesis of the Daleks. It was kind of like, but we've got the Daleks template as well you know we we mm. could destroy 
the Daleks if you know if you wanted to, or we could destroy all three races. I, I thought that for me there was that definite echo of here's another opportunity to wipe the Daleks out of existence that the Doctor doesn't immediately go, yeah, right then. He's very much like, no, you, you shouldn't have that power. It contrasts him to the War Doctor as well. The, I suppose we now know he's shortly relatively going to turn into, doesn't it? That, uh, that yeah. He's the one that would make that choice. Yeah. But yeah, a slightly uh, interesting and different way of... Um, of conquering other races is, uh, you know, rather than sort of wipe them out or enslave them or anything, is just to uh, just to set them back. Kind of a, a long-term plan, isn't it? Mm. It did remind me a little bit of that um, episode of Voyager, Star Trek Voyager. You know, the the year from hell, where they where they go around and they wipe out different species and then reinstate those species to try and restore a timeline. And it, it did did remind me a bit of that when they were talking about all the different things that they'd they'd saved from different races in the sort of repository. Um, it was, it, it just, there was an element of that for me where I was just thinking, okay, so they, they just target a race and devolve them, but then they keep a bit of what they were. And obviously the doctor's a bit like that because the doctor remembers these races, even though they, they've now been taken out of, you know, existence. It was quite, quite a strange concept. It confused me the first listen, actually, because I was thinking they were devolving them back through time. And I thought, well, wouldn't all their stuff disappear? And you'd realise on the second listen that, no, they're devolving them within that moment. They're sending them back yeah. to time. But their history is still happening. They've been devolved within that moment, aren't they? So but first time I listened to that, I picked that up because I was sort of like trudging to work and only had my ears half on it. Then the second listen, I thought, oh, no, I've got... Because I was going to say, ha-ha, a massive plot hole. But obviously it isn't because it's... Um, they're being devolved now, but everything that yeah. they've been is still still survives, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's I just thought there. It, was, it was quite uh, gruesome, wasn't it? The the, the final sort of uh, scene on the planet where the Daleks leave, and you can sort of hear everybody turning into sludge. It was mm. quite grim, but like in, oh, you know, that, like that, one that, of those. <laughs> oh god! <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought that bit was excellent. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> I think because they weren't very pleasant, were they? Because I think if there had been a bit of sort of like religious zeal about them saying, well, actually, we're doing this for their own good, isn't it marvellous? But because they were sort of like doing it because they just, they had distaste for the people to whom they were doing it, it made it harder to um, sympathise for them, really. Mm. Yeah, definitely. But it did did show just just how ruthless the Daleks were. You know, the the Doctor had gone back to the ship and they were like, right, he's gone now. Let's devolve yeah, the lot of you. It was great. I mean, obviously they were going to go back and take the devolver, and they were going to mm. they were going to devolve everybody. But it was still played out quite well. It was still like that. You know, you think everything's sort of being wrapped up, and then you hear a Dalek barking in the distance, or it kind of whirring into the into the room, and you're like, oh god, yeah, of course they've come back. That make you know, uh, well, why did I think for a second the Daleks weren't going to do that? Um, I thought that that was paid off quite well, actually. Mm. You would not think the Doctor's a wee bit naive. Oh yeah, yeah, S- certainly, yeah. But I, I, I think that you know, we for, to, to a certain extent in terms of the writing, you can only kind of hesitate on this planet for so long before we need to start moving on and doing other stuff with the Tumble Victorious. And I feel like we are going to have to suspend our disbelief that the Doctor doesn't think something else is going on because obviously the Daleks are planning 
something nefarious in the background that they're trying to keep his uh, his uh, kind of um, you know awareness away from. So I think that there's going to be a few more of those. Oh come on, Doctor! It's, it's obviously the Daleks aren't being that cooperative for no reason. You know. Maybe he'll turn out he's got like a vital part of the devolve in his pocket all along, doesn't he? <laughs> but okay, who, I, I was wondering if the Daleks had the Time Lord um, origin matrix, because they did have it on the planet. But I, I, I wonder mm. whether whether the Daleks picked that up as well, um, mm. or whether it was just because the Doctor was standing in the eye when they were about to use the weapon. I, that was the one bit I wasn't sure of, because they said that the chair had read his his bio data. And I didn't know that he was... Yeah, he did say something about it's not quite finished. So I, I did wonder whether or not the, the Daleks had managed to capture that or whether or not it was left behind and, and uh, they just got the uh, devolver. Yeah, I felt they needed to concentrate on some parts like that, didn't you? Because... They they made a big deal of the um, the matrix stuff, and then they said, "But that's actually just a ritual, and you don't need it." And there could just mm. be any kind of DNA sample in that chamber. Um, but then, like you say, they they had it because the doctor was standing in there, and they said, "Well, we've got all three in here now." But whether there's any record of it or not wasn't wasn't massively clear. Mm. I, I I did struggle at times to kind of keep my attention with with some of the um, expositional scenes purely. Because when you're doing a sequence, walking down a corridor with the Doctor walking and talking to a Dalek, you've got to have that Dalek's bass whirring constantly in the background, yeah. which I found quite distracting at times. There was a few a few instances where I was like, hang on, I've, I've just been listening to that Dalek going <laughs> along the floor. I need to go back and listen to that bit again. Um, there were there were a few instances of that that you know here and there. Um, so it didn't make for particularly great listening in those sequences. And also, like you know, Nick Briggs as the Daleks, but also appearing as that secondary character. Yeah. Um, was a bit like, well, you know, obviously you already kind of take it. It was like, that, that sounds like Nick Briggs. Let me check the cast list. Yes, it is Nick Briggs. Um, you know, he's, he's already set the stage with his fantastic Dalek characterizations. So when he does pop up and just performs in his own voice, it does kind of stick out like a sore thumb. It kind of drew me out of it just so I could check the website and go, oh yeah, that is Nick Briggs. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm I know playing so. tricks on me. I think because he's such a recognisable voice from the Big Finish podcast, and even at the start of every Big Finish story, it's his voice saying, uh, you're listening to a Big Finish production, that, um, it, it, like you say, it does it does take you out of it a bit because you're aware of him um, outside of the story so much, aren't you? I don't mind him playing, you know, lifts or vending machines or whatever, but when he's, like, <laughs> a character that has quite a few decent lines of dialogue in the middle... <laughs> he wants to be a person. Weird, no. You know, <laughs> No, you're not, you're not, you're not, you can only be something encased in metal, you're not allowed to be flesh and blood, you're not like. <laughs> Isn't that, um, a Joey on Friends, doesn't he get a note like that, um, from one of his acting auditions, and they said something like, uh, not convincing as a human being? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's got a great career for himself based on that note, Nick Brink, good for him. <laughs> Just make you wonder if he gets bored doing it sometimes. We'd like you to play six different characters. <laughs> <laughs> the end of the uh, the cast list where they say other roles performed by other members of the cast. You just be yeah. every other role played by Nick Briggs. 
<laughs> but in the last one, we did have Paul McGann doing his uh, different accents, playing all the different characters. So that's true. Yeah, yeah. May, maybe we should be less critical. <laughs> yeah, I, I certainly feel like this is this is the first time. I don't know if I said it um, um, in the last one that we did. But it's sort of the first instance I've got where, ah, yeah, I feel like this definitely has been recorded in lockdown. Um, there's just something about the, the acoustics on Paul's voice um, mm. where I feel like it just sounds a little bit, I don't know what the, it, it just sounds a bit too roomy. Um, and they're obviously still going to treat his voice afterwards and process it and put some more, you know, uh, echoes and reverbs on it for whatever uh, location he's in. Um, but I do know that he had a couple of issues with his, uh, where he was recording. I think he had some, um, some mice or some pigeons or something in his attic. He was recording it in his attic. Um, so uh, if he sounds a bit distracted through, throughout, uh, any future recordings done in lockdown, I think that's probably why he's being picked up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but did you, I couldn't tell any difference. Uh, it wasn't until they actually said in the, uh, interview a bit at the end that, um, They'd um, done it a lot. I genuinely couldn't tell because I'm sort of like slightly hard of hearing. It didn't make any difference to me at all. I can't. I can't say that I've noticed a massive difference, but I'm. I don't really have a trained ear for it, and I haven't listened to lots of big finish. I'm relatively new to it, so uh, I can't say I have spotted that yet. What What did you think of the doctor's sort of? big speech that came towards the end he did this sort of i had to go back and listen to it again he did this sort of speech about life in the universe and sort of trying to appeal to seraphin's sort of better nature it was quite quite a monologue chunky bit of talking um, before the sort of Daleks turned up, did you did you like that? I did. I thought no. it, it juxtaposed nicely with the Daleks kind of methods of they just wanted to come in, uh, kill everybody, take the weapon, and and kind of shut it down that way. Um, either because they didn't. I don't think the Daleks have got the weapon, have they? They used it once to to uh, de-evolve the racks. I didn't yeah. get the impression that that they've they've got it long term, and that, that was kind of their solution where. The doctor's solution is is to appeal to their better nature and, and try and show them a different way. So I think in terms of contrast, it was uh, it worked well. I do think they have it now because they've got control of the planet, really, haven't they? With um, the weapon wasn't disabled because they've used it on the populace, so the Daleks are in control of it. Though. They yeah, took a remote. Yeah, they took a section of it, didn't they? They said, you know, we found the remote, not remote control, but there was some sort of remote applicant that they, I think, they took with them. In terms of his big speech, I've literally just finished my grand rewatch of every Doctor Who story. Mm. And in recent weeks, I've sat through so many grand speeches from the Doctor. I did kind of slide off it a little bit. I've heard so (laughs) many now. They don't quite have the same impact on me that they once did. I was was going to say the same thing, Keith, honestly. I'd forgotten that there was a big grand speech at the end because (laughs) every Doctor Who story has a big grand speech at the end. And uh, I, I liked what, what you were saying, Mark, about it. the fact it does juxtapose the, um, the methods of the Daleks of just barking and, and firing and that's it. Um, you know, the Doctor actually having to do this, you know, typical Doctorish spiel. But then, again, to me, it was a typical Doctorish spiel. It didn't really um, stand but out I, particularly, you know. But I, I kind of liked it. And, and the reason why I liked it was 
for me, yes, it did juxtapose against the Daleks, but I also was thinking about the the story with the Master and and how he ends up with this weapon and how it, you know, it, it all a, a spoiler alert, but, it, you know, it, we think it kills him in the end, uh, the way he uses it. But it, it's kind of like um, the Master was just indiscriminately using it to to break into a vault, essentially. It wasn't really that the, the devolver was, you know, really the, the point. He was trying to get into a vault, found this new weapon which he was using. And I thought that juxtaposed very nicely with the fact that the doctor was sort of saying, you know, this weapon will give you nothing but, you know, trouble. Uh, and it ends up that further down the line in a different, you know, in a different part of this story, it does for the master without him even realising... The devolver played this big part in it. I have to say, I think that is going to be, you know, a great part of the whole Time Lord Victorious experience. But I think it's also going to be a hindrance in that, you know, I, I haven't experienced the um, the short, yeah. short trips uh, side of it yet. And I think that people who are able to absorb, you know, every single facet of Time Lord Victorious, they're going to get a, a, a much uh, a wholer experience, you know, like... I, I wouldn't have made any of those links at all because I haven't listened to that drama. Mm. So I, I think it really does pay to, you know, in effect, listen to everything and collect everything. And, and you know, whatever you might think of the practices of that, you know, aside, um, it is a shame that if you can't sort of uh, grab every piece of it, you can't make those quite nice uh, yeah. intellectual kind of links. But again... It's uh, it's not a necessity. I don't feel like I've missed out an awful lot no. of the story from it. And we were the same on the last podcast because you'd read the book, so you already knew about Brian. And it, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it also serves as a sort of nice conduit to have conversations with people that have enjoyed another part of it. You can then say, "But did yeah. you know this?" Um, so well, it's the podcast about the bit you haven't got. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> This is your roundup, everybody. Especially the book, which I haven't bought, so it was quite useful. <laughs> Do you think they'll release some kind of box set of this, maybe with the, the books and the comics as PDF? Um, on oh, this? Probably can, yes. <laughs> Yeah, you know, so that if if you do then want to get every element of it, yeah, you know, you, you could get the you know the big finishes, the um, the annual even as a PDF, the Daleks um, cartoon series as a DVD. Do you think that's oh, the way yeah. it's going? I mean, it'd be annoying for the people who bought bits and pieces of it, I suppose. But uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I honestly, I. I... I, sh- I shudder to think of the, the, the monolithic mortgage amount of money that you're going to have to shell out to get everything in a big box set. But also, at the same time, you know, as much fun as Daleks is, and I'm enjoying it, I am very glad it's free. And um, mm. if I had paid for a DVD of that, I would be pretty miffed. Um, so I'm very glad that that at the moment is free and I think that there would be a, quite a backlash, or I would hope anyway, um, if, if that was released on DVD without some significant alterations or some additions and some behind-the-scenes features, um, I would be very surprised if that ever comes out um, on DVD. Oh, I see. Now I've got, to, I've, I've got to ask, what is it you, you don't like about it? Red Death Rays, it's wrong. Well... 
<laughs> it was red <laughs> and green this week. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, don't don't oh, that can of worms. My life is ruined. <laughs> that is that that is that's uh, that's that, that's just getting to the, the the very very top of the problems. I, I, honestly, I have to say. I do enjoy it. It's being done for free. It's an extra bit of Doctor Who. Mm. Um, it's the Daleks. It's Time Lord Victorious. It's a really interesting idea. Um, I just, you know, I, I am able to divorce the visuals from the story. Mm. Um, but like the recent episode that just came out, um, I've, I've, I haven't finished it. Um, the uh, the one with Joe Sugg um, acting in inverted. Oh yes. Uh, as that little robot. Um, I um, honestly it, like that that sequence where they're in the cave. Mm. I don't understand why they bothered trying to render the whole thing out into into 4K because the resolution of the stone texture on the wall behind the Dalek and that little robot is like. I, I know people have been taking the mix saying it looks like a PlayStation One cutscene, but that looks like Super Mario 64. You know, we're talking like <laughs> honestly, like. It, it was it was shocking, and I I really like it. I know some of the people that worked on it and that have helmed it and stuff. I love the idea of it, but just you either have to make a decision: do you make it look really photorealistic because those Dalek models look gorgeous, or do you go the other side and really stylize it and make it look like the old um, you know TV Century Twenty One comics? What, what you know? What do you what do you do? You know, it, it's it's a, it's a difficult um, balancing act. Like I just feel like they haven't. You know, to, to, to see the Daleks flying through those really low-resolution flames in the first episode and the cameras constantly moving, giving people motion sickness, it just kind of it clashed a bit too much. I don't know whether or not there wasn't enough time or not enough money, but whatever's come out of it, story-wise, is interesting, but visually, I you know, that's, that, that is why I don't want to see it on a DVD. <laughs> I will just say, in its defence, slightly better graphics than my Dalek attack back in 1992 on the ZX Spectrum. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I had that that on a floppy disk for the PC. That was great fun. (laughs) I had assumed it was designed to look like the annuals. That's why it looked like it did. Mm. So is is that not right? I think part of it might be that they want it to be stylised. But genuinely, if you want it to look that stylised, there's still no reason why... The resolution of like the walls behind certain Dalek, uh, you know, sequences should look the way that they look. Like, um, it, it, honestly, some of it is rendered out like really poorly, um, and that's from a technical perspective, not from a stylistic or artistic perspective. It just looks quite poor in some sections. Um, but certainly, like having the the, the Dalek, uh, the Emperor Dalek, or you know, the, the one with the big head. Like, that is definitely, obviously, taken from those original comic books. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, in that case, just kind of give it, like, a a, a cell-shaded look or, like, a comic book look. Don't try and animate it in 3D with those kind of very complex sets and stuff. It just kind of... It needs to go one way or the other. I feel like it's a compromise in too many different ways, you know? Mm. It's right. I've got the... You know, the the Daleks 1960s comic strip that they've just... Yeah, I have. I have actually got a copy. I'm not massively into uh, comics, but that sort of dome-shaped Dalek does feature in that very much. Mm, yeah, um, that's great. So yeah, I, I wanted to, to ask you, gentlemen, your your thoughts of this now going to the dark times. Yeah, it's something that's mentioned so often in lots of different Doctor Who stories, and hence why they're packaging a whole load up on a DVD. Um, 
But what, what are your thoughts on, on this now veering off into the dark times? None whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't given it a second thought, to be fair. <laughs> um, I always thought sort of the dark times were a bit like the time war. It was kind of this sort of mythical sort of thing that they never really went back to or couldn't go back to and and now we're yeah. and now it's we're flying good, into it. It's good since we've witnessed it, hasn't it? Mm. There's lots of stuff that come from the dark times, but the, the Doctor himself has never been there and, and it's it just one of those sort of things that I just thought, okay, they're making a big thing of it about being in the dark times, but he says it's before Time Lord... Uh, Time Lord started recording history, and so just wondering what your, what your thoughts were of this new sort of unexplored part I of think Doctor that's Who. It. I mean, it's going to be totally continuity-free, isn't it? So, mm. any sort of like fan jumping on board who isn't sort of like uh, glued up and like fifty, how many years it is now of the show? I suppose it'd be a good place to like have new adventures, which isn't going to be bogged down with um, stuff that's happened previously. Mm. It's a very new adventures idea as well, those are the, uh, the dark times. So, like, all yeah. the seem to came come from the dark times in those books. Incidentally, being a big read of the uh, Eighth Doctor books and adoring the Faction Paradox, hearing Paul McGann say biodata was absolutely glorious. I love that. <laughs> 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 Made me feel quite nostalgic. <laughs> oh, I've not read those for ages. I adore those books, but uh, they're a bit of a slog. <laughs> mm. I think probably for, for me and Billy, having read the, the Night, the Fool and the Dead, that is entirely set in the dark times. So oh, yeah. we've, we've had the flavour of it there. Um, to, and um, I don't know how much of the Eighth Doctor we're going to see in the dark times because I think the, the ending of this story, the ending of My Enemy and the ending of The Night, the Fool and the Dead uh, are probably where the two stories dovetail. Well, I don't know. See, I, I, I feel like I feel like there's something else in there, Mark, because, ah. you know, the, obviously the Eighth Doctor sort of says, uh, oh, I, I kind of know where we need to go. But there's no, I mean, I don't expect him to know necessarily that he's going to be heading for a confrontation with the Tenth Doctor. There's no way he could have possibly worked out that a future self is responsible for that necessarily. Because if, if, I feel like he picked up that, that inkling that uh, of where they needed to go from something that couldn't have linked to the 10th Doctor. So I think there's probably one more stop on the way and then the Daleks and um, the 9th Doctor with the, the vampires kind of intersect at that point um, at the end of the Night of the Fool and the Dead. Interesting. Ah, because I sort of imagined they arrive in the Dark Times, see the 10th Doctor at the, is the, um, is it the Admiral of the, of the Armada, um, and just kind of um, uh, again, what's open hailing frequencies, um, and then see that it's and uh, it's the tenth Doctor, and just say we're here to stop you without necessarily knowing. Uh, knowing that it's him. Yeah, knowing that it's a future incarnation necessarily. But I guess if the next book is going to be from different viewpoints, we will learn at what point he finds out that it's his future incarnation that they're there to stop and. Uh, yeah, they do I, I don't know if you if you want to go into monstrous beauty, but there's a I was I was um, messaging Matt earlier, and, and we had an interesting sort of realization of something that happens between uh, panels 
uh, in the comic. I don't know if you guys have read it yet. There's a there's a, an interesting bit where the, you know the, the Ninth Doctor sort of saves Rose, stop her, stops her from fully being taken over by this kind of uh, vampirific sort of like mm. um, uh, affliction she's got. Um, and he, her eyes, as her eyes are closing, there's a frame of the of the Ninth Doctor in his green jumper, sort of saying, "Don't worry, you'll be okay." And then her eyes sort of half closed, closed, and he still looks like he's, you know, in the same place. And then the th- the third panel, when her eyes reopen and she's woken up from her coma or something, he's got a completely different jumper on, and he's got it's all kind of roughed up. He's got marks on his face, and uh, there's the kind of chunks taken out of his his leather jacket. So between Rose Rose sort of falling asleep and her waking up, that's when he kind of goes off and deals with the 10th Doctor alongside Eight. um, You are. Yeah, you're absolutely right. His um, T-shirt turns from green to brown and like you say, he's all beaten up. I think, yeah, it's some kind of mustard yellow because it's the same colour as the jumper that's on, that he's wearing on the front cover. His, of, um, his eyes are different colour as well. Are they? They, they look it. Interesting. Well, There's a big explosion um, like in <laughs> Horror of Fang Rock, which um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. can change eye colour. <laughs> but it was an interesting mm. sort of thing. I, you know, now finally finishing monstrous beauty and, and now finishing this drama i you know like i said earlier i can see that it's all coming to a head i can see where it's all heading now which is which is quite satisfying have any of you guys read the the titan uh, time lord victorious comic i haven't read it yet i've ordered the omnibus no uh, no not at all no nope. fair enough <laughs> <laughs> i just stopped buying um, comics in the magazine years ago so and I can't say I really miss them, so I don't really uh, intend to do that either. That's why I've always been a bit dubious about the um, time of travel victorious as a concept, because there are theories. It's a big way to get people to sort of like buy media which they don't normally want to buy. But I always think, well, if you don't want to buy something, you shouldn't be made to do it to follow a story. Hmm. Saying that, I quite enjoy. I mean, I've, we've sort of spoken uh, privately, Mark, and I've never been terribly keen on the idea of our time of Victoria's. I've always been a bit cool on it. But this, mm-hmm. um, I mean, the uh, enemy of my enemy is actually sort of like fired my imagination a bit because the first Master stories didn't really, uh, didn't grab me, to be honest. But now because I've um, heard this, that makes sense now. So I've actually enjoyed that as a result of hearing this, if that makes sense. Mm. But I'm, re- I'm reluctant to sort of like have to be forced to get something I don't want to get purely because I need to uh, needed to follow this because at the moment I'm hanging on to my uh, this time old victorious by my uh, fingertips really <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I'm the, I'm the same I, I think on the last podcast I sort of said I felt I didn't get much from the previous audio uh, oh. apart from a couple of fleeting mentions I felt this one there was a lot more to get your teeth into and I think alongside the the Daleks cartoon and alongside other bits and pieces that are coming out that I have interacted with, I think I'm the same. I'm starting to build a picture, but obviously it might be slightly different to what other people are building based on what they're experiencing. And I I think in a way that is quite fun is that people have got different theories. People are engaging in different ways. Um, I am, I am the same. I I don't want to go out and buy all the cartoons, uh, the, the comics, um, 
I, I, there's a limit to how much I'm going to ingest. I do want to um, buy a couple of the books based on what people have told me about them. But I think there's, it's more, you know, I, I think this is accessible no matter where you come at it. And you can either enjoy, you know, something standalone, like this story would be, you know, would be a straightforward Daleks being manipulative, uh, you know, sort of story. If it wasn't for the cliffhanger ending from the previous one, and the, the you know, the oh, the Doctor doesn't know our big master plan at the end of this one, you could just enjoy it as a you know, the Doctor has a run in with the Daleks story. I think they'll know. I think they they, they they certainly are going into it. I would hope anyway, knowing uh, the majority of stuff that people will pick up. I think they know that the big finished ones are going to be popular. The books are going to be popular because they're the most easily digestible um, and you can kind of catch up on it quickly. Um, I think the comic books, you know, they're slightly harder for people to permeate if they're not generally into comic books. Um, so I, I, I feel like that's why I, I've certainly tied myself into going, right, I'm going to dedicate myself to the, the, the books and the audios, which is basically what I've done so far. Yeah, I think this one, uh, it'd be interesting to hear how we all think of it as how it works as, as a standalone. Um, I think the novelty probably of the Doctor having to work with the Daleks for a prolonged period and having to save them um, is probably you know, it's kind of strong enough idea that it works quite well. And um, riding on a Dalek flying out of a building, I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, that was cool. Mm. Oh my that See McGann flying on a Dalek would be the best thing ever. A fantastic image, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I really like that. That was uh, that was one of my favourite moments, actually. Well, so I really enjoyed this one. Of all the Time Lord Victoria stuff I've sampled, this has been the one that sort of grabbed me. I wasn't very keen on the previous audience. I wasn't. I was just perplexed by the Master story. So, <laughs> so <laughs> it's it's kind of made sense to me now. Yeah, it's quite quite fun to think that um, after everything that goes on, the whole of the Rax race is de-evolved, the Dalek ship takes off with the Doctor aboard, and then maybe five minutes later, the, the Master materialises and uh, helps himself to, to the weapon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah. again, the Delgado Master as well. It's, uh, it's, it's quite fun meeting such a later Doctor, or ju- just missing such a later Doctor. So what do we think of this conspiracy that's developing now that the whole Time of Victorious thing is a uh, way to get fans back who weren't terribly keen on the current TV series? Ooh, we, we, it's sort of like using Ten, who's like arguably the most popular Doctor. I do feel kind of affronted as somebody who does like the current run with mm. Jodie, that Tennant is being surgically implanted into um, a lot of her stuff. Like there's that new comic book with... Um, with the Sea Devils that he's in. Um, there's the, the new game uh, that he appears in, the new yeah. uh, virtual reality game or console game, I think. Um, there's a few things. Oh, that new... They did, um, they did a, a teddy bear, didn't they, for Pudsy Bear, for um, yeah. Children in Need and, the, you know, the 10th Doctor and the and the 13th Doctor. It will always be the case that, you know, for example, DWM, it's the covers that have got the 10th Doctor and the 4th Doctors on them that sell the most. Um, and uh, but it does feel cynical. It does feel like you know uh, the, the way they project it is like Jodie can't hold her own in terms of shifting um, products and shifting volumes of products. Do so I, I feel a bit affronted by it. I think. Do you do you think part of that though is is the because um, Matt's not being back to do any 
audio, has he? No. no. And has Peter Capaldi done any? No, no, I think he's probably more likely, given that they've basically said um, Jacob Dudman's taking over the 11th Doctor for the um, yeah those new stories. So, so do, do you think it, it might be because he's the you know if suddenly Peter Capaldi turned around and said, "Yeah, I'm on board with the audio, so let's go." They would pair her up with someone else. Do you think no, it's just I, because? Honestly, I think it's because David is is the most popular, and also he is willing to do it. Um, mm. I think it's the kind of perfect storm where the most popular doctor of the last you know decade is also willing to, or you know the last two decades is willing to to have a go and and, and enjoy it and, and kind of ride it. I, mm. I, I feel like maybe when Eccleston sort of finds his feet and he's able to do some some more dramas and sort of uh, maybe engage in some other parts of the Big Finish um, sort of canon or maybe even come back on television, maybe it could change. Maybe it could be mm. more favoured in terms of the Ninth Doctor popping up in alternative media. But I think certainly at the moment it's being done because Ten is the most valuable um, sort of face that the, the Doctor Who brand has ever had, really. And I could have known that we were going to be in the middle of a pandemic and that... Um um, tenant was going to be available to record all this stuff for. Yeah. So it must have had this story planned like last year before this kicked off. So Definitely. This has always been intended. It's just been handy for them that he's been available to record a lot more stuff than he probably was previously. I, I agree. And I think it's certainly been done in a way to kind of prop up the exposure of the programme while um, it's not on the telly. Um, I mean, it looks like really there's not going to be as much of a delay as we expected. With it is the, actually filming, yeah. apparently. Yeah, it's, they are just filming at the moment. Yeah, which is amazing. You know, it's it's uh, you know having having worked in, in in telly during the pandemic, but on a much smaller scale to Doctor Who, I didn't think it would be possible, really. But it, it is, and I'm amazed they're doing it. But I do think that Time Lord Victorious was set up to kind of fill a gap um, while while the show wasn't on television, and it's you know it's worked. Because a lot of the uh, not my doctor people sort of using it as a um, argument to say, "Ah, how the BBC's realised a mistake, and now they're trying to bring Tennant back and the other doctors to sort of like boost the franchise." Well, but they, yeah, um, I, 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 I can't <laughs> even. I can't, I can't even let any of their names spill out my mouth. <laughs> no, don't. But I, I think that there is also. I think there's an element that the the BBC recently have been sort of. Recent, well, not, is it restructuring or you know they they've taken over elements so the the uh, Twitter handle for example yeah. and things like that. I think that they've been repositioning Doctor Who, uh, and I think this is part of that repositioning. Um, you know, and, and there are there's always going to be people that have conspiracy theories about you know this is why they're doing it. Um, I, I do, for me, uh, I just think it's great to have Doctor Who content. Uh, there's so much variety of that content. There's so many different things that you can um, you can go out and enjoy. Uh, and I think, uh, as far as I'm concerned, it, I'm not really fussed which Doctor is on it. Um, I'd like to see more of Jodie, but you know, obviously yeah. that that that's being taken up with the TV series. And, and I'm I'm the same as you, Bill. Um, it's like, believe it is. I'm amazed that they're doing it, and I'm amazed that they're, you know, they're going to have a series ready for next year. I honestly like knowing knowing the ins and outs of how stressful it is to construct a, like a studio bound production, but now you're going out on location as well, um, with a much larger crew that does rotate to a degree. Um, the fact that the BBC have gone, do you know what? Even if you can't do ten episodes, we still want you to make Doctor Who. 
that is a huge, mm. huge um, green light for to show that Doctor Who is still considered by the BBC to be their one of their biggest programmes. You know, The Witcher for Netflix, arguably, um, is probably seen by more people than Doctor Who, even mm. though Netflix don't release their viewing figures. But they halted production. They said we're not going ahead with that anymore. Um, the Umbrella Academy is going to be recording its third series uh, for Netflix again um, until next year. But, the you know, the BBC said, we want you to commit to making us some more Doctor Who, which is really, yeah. really positive. And that's so, in autumn next year, happen. Yeah, yeah, I think mm-hmm. I think it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely 2021 at some point is the which idea. Which is amazing, because I'd assume we'd get the, the special New Year's Day again, which would more or less give them a year to get things together. So that's really incredible. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping they'll go to Christmas Day. Because believe it, I don't, I'm working. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sorry. We forget that the last series was actually this year. So oh, it's it's unbelievable, just, yeah. I know, I mean, it, I was, when I was re-watching, I thought, Christ, it was this year. <laughs> it seemed like a lifetime ago. But um, the fact we sort of like got two consecutive um, um, years with Doctor Who on it's like, uh, if there was the rumour that we were just going to have like a, uh, a year without it every, this is like uh, continually, weren't we? But uh, now we're going to have it next year as well. You think it's I because think... Wales isn't in full lockdown again that they can actually do it? I, I, I don't know. I, I, I know they are the last the last filming location, which I think maybe information came out about that this morning was they were filming in Merthyr Tidville. But yes, um, I think, and this is really frustrating. I think they were across the road from me in Bristol um, last week. Oh no. And because I, I recognised some of, I recognised their their um, location set up for their tents from some photographs that are leaked from Merthyr Tidville, and I was like, that is exactly how it was set up across the road from me in the centre of Bristol. So I think they're they're going across the border. So I, I don't think they're allowing the restrictions really because it, it does count as work, so they're allowed to. Um, I don't think they're allowing the restrictions to restrict their ability to film anything right now. Because I have a lot of scenes where they're shouting at each other from like <laughs> from a distance, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Dalek operators are safe; they're back; they're, they're absolutely fine. Anybody inside a monster costume is great. They've got layers of latex between them. <laughs> Nick Briggs is in his attic, just voicing them all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, yeah, even a cameo one day on screen, aren't we? Well, I mean, he was in an adventure in space and time. To be fair, does that count? Oh, go on. Why not? Mm-hmm. He was, he was I did spot him into my rewatch because Matt Smith was in it. There you go. There you yeah, go. yeah. I think he was in um, the, the Children of Earth as well, wasn't he, in, in Torchwood? They're getting the spin off so close. <laughs> Always the bride's yeah. never the bride. <laughs> Do I we think, think was... um, Yaz is going to be the sole companion then? Oh, I, think so. oh, I think so. I think so. The children in need. It was just the two of them. I missed that. Mm, it, I missed that too. But it, it was it was it was not any sort of new series footage. But it was just the two of them in the TARDIS. I, I have to say though, I one of the directors for the series has been leaked because their agency um, posted their new updated CV and it had Doctor Who series thirteen on it. Um, <laughs> And they listed the two main cast members as Jodie Whittaker and Bradley Walsh, oh. and Mandip was not on that listing. Oh. And of course, it was the three of them, Mandip, 
um, Bradley and, and Jody that did the um, New York Comic Con um, uh, chat. So I I wonder whether or not we're going to have like a rotating sort of like lineup of them, or it will be the three of them, or, or I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. Because Bradley said he left the show because he's doing Darling Buds of May, I think, for ITV, a remake of Darling Buds of May. Oh, good grief, they knew that five minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a bit of a... <laughs> it's a bit of a step down, isn't it? I'm sure that's what he said. Because um... I think Tosin's got a job in another series, hasn't he? Oh, he's yeah. Done, yeah, he's, I think he's, um, he's put his running shoes on from the show. <laughs> um, he's... he's um, disengaged himself from it I think I'm sure we'll find out I I, I, I quite like the lack of spoilers and, and sort of reveals so early on because sometimes you get to the point where you're just like well I know everything that's going to happen what's the point of watching it it's quite nice to be surprised I know um, I, I feel the same but like it, it's frustrating as well the first week that they've been back publicly filming and today there's photos. A I'm big sure. clangor of a spoiler, like returning monsters. Have anybody heard Shadow of the Daleks, the uh, big finish release for this month and last month? No. Because it's, um, well, I won't ruin it because you're going to listen to it, but it's like, a, like the major climax of it kind of is very similar to um, what we've been discussing today. So I thought that was either very bad planning or is it all connected? Well, if you've not heard it, you know no idea what I'm talking about, but devolving, shall we say, was involved. I thought, well, why bring those two stories out together unless they're hmm. meant to be connected? But then they're not under the Time Lord Victoria's banner, are they? So I am very confused. Interesting. Hmm. So it's either bad planning or wumps, if, uh, just to get the, or um, they are connected, but um, I just thought it was odd at the time. I think I... Did they give one of those, one of the stories away free? Was it one of their sort of free downloads? I think they gave away part one or yeah, one of the episodes they gave away. Yeah, I think I've listened to that, which is the one where he's at the cricket match. Actually, probably the least, the one I enjoyed the least, actually. So, uh, (laughs) you probably (laughs) They gave away the the worst one, is that what you're saying? going for shorter stories now aren't they because a lot of um, the recent releases even though they've been um, two discs they've been like two stories and this one was basically um, eight short stories so I think um, the idea of them releasing sort of traditional four episode stories is uh, disappearing mm. Mm. and actually I don't really mind because they've done so many of those now it is quite nice to have a slightly briefer story and the traditional monthly range is, is ending anyway, isn't it? So I guess we're going to get yes. more box sets and, and collections like that. Do we know when you're finishing? No. I don't know. I saw, I saw, I knew that it was finishing. I'm not sure if it's some point early next year. Because when I finished my uh, grand rewash, I did sort of say, what shall I do now? And somebody said, listen to all the big finish you've got. I thought, I will not live that long. So <laughs> <laughs> Simply couldn't, from beginning to end, survive that long these days. <laughs> okay, that's our show. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you very much for listening. Goodbye.
You can all say bye if you like. Oh, no. <laughs> bye. <laughs> <laughs>